0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Medical University of South Carolina Science Never Sleeps podcast. Today's conversation may well have been uppermost in many of our audience's minds after the COVID nineteen pandemic took hold, worries of pulmonary support and palliative care. Luckily, today's guest, Dr. Kathleen Lindell, is well versed in these issues. An associate professor in the College of Nursing and the Mary Swain Endowed Chair in Palliative Care, Dr. Lindell has extensive clinical experience working to improve support available to patients with idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis or IPF. She is a graduate of the University of Pittsburgh School of Nursing, where she received her bachelor's and master's of science in nursing, as well as her PhD. Dr. Lindell's passion for her patients and their caregivers has led to the development of a palliative care intervention entitled, A Program of Support, which is Symptom Management, Understanding the Disease, Pulmonary Rehabilitation, Palliative Care, Oxygen Therapy, Research Participation, and Transplantation. Welcome, Dr. Lindell.
1: Thank you for this opportunity.
0: Dr. Lindell, I'd like to start with an understanding of what idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis is. Can you explain that?
1: Yes, so idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis is defined as unknown lung scarring. So there's no known cause and there's no known cure at this time. Uh, And what we know is that patients who uh, receive this diagnosis, it tends to happen more so in males Compared to females, but um, we are seeing an increase in other types of progressive pulmonary fibrosis um, in patients um, who get this um, diagnosis. Um, and what we know is, for those patients who have are diagnosed with idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis, median survival is approximately 3.8 years. Wow. Now- what that means is that median right in the middle of all people who have the disease the the disease course is unpredictable and there's no way to predict how one person's disease course will uh, be in comparison to someone else there are some individuals that their disease uh, will progress very rapidly and they may uh, be deceased in one year And then there are some that will live eight to 10 years. Um, So the disease course really is unpredictable and it causes a lot of challenges for both patients, their caregivers and the healthcare professionals who see them. I can imagine it sounds like
0: the range is, is far reaching with no known understanding of how the disease really occurs. Is that a fair statement? Yes. Okay. So no wonder you wanted to do something uh, to make a difference for those suffering from this disease and for those indeed who care for them. And um, why did you expand your expertise to include palliative care, which I would understand to be end-of-life care, but perhaps not? And I ask that question because, as you noted, there's such a range between uh, fatalities or mortality, I guess is what I should say, in that disease. Can you uh, talk to us a little bit about that?
1: yes so it evolved as a natural progress progression of the work that i did uh, when i was at the university of pittsburgh i was the pulmonary clinical nurse specialist in the dorothy p and richard p simmons center for interstitial lung disease and my role was to provide education and support uh and i would see patients in clinic with our physicians and I would see them before they would go in to see the physician. And then I'd see them when they came out. And I would think, wow, this is like not necessarily a, a good story. I wonder how the patient will respond when they come out. And Often what I saw was that patients maybe had a blank stare on their face and I realized they didn't Im- understand or appreciate the impact of the disease. And one of the reasons uh, the problem is, is uh, idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis is 12 syllables. Mm -hmm. And so from a literacy standpoint, you could be the smartest person in the world, but if you don't understand medicine, uh, it could be challenging to understand exactly what is idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis. So I started, back to get my PhD in nursing at the University of Pittsburgh and my research question was what is the disease impact of IPF and what we learned was that um, patients had a lot of anxiety and depression because they didn't know exactly what they had in addition they also um, their quality of life was impacted Mostly, if they had good or bad social support. So what that means is if they had uh, caregivers who were available to help them, they had a better quality of life and vice versa. Which, I mean, when you think about that, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Uh, You have someone there to help you through this course. There's also was a lot of confusion about what this disease was, uh, especially when they go back to their home community. Um, Just to give you like, kind of an idea of these patients experience progressive shortness of breath, cough, fatigue, anxiety, and depression as their disease advances. And they get this diagnosis and they go home to their community and their loved ones, family, friend want to know, well, what did the doctor tell you that you have? And they would often say, "Uh, I don't remember all the words, but I remember fibrosis. And it's very common, and this we've talked about this in the United States, this happens frequently. Um, their loved ones would say, but fibrosis, I thought that was cystic fibrosis, and that only happened to kids. So there, we already know that there is a problem with understanding of the disease. Right, as, as opposed
0: to like if- were diagnosed with lung cancer, you'd immediately get a feel for that as
1: opposed to fibrosis. You're absolutely right. And, and that is an absolutely great example. And I use that often to say that if someone told you, you were diagnosed with lung cancer, the natural response is, oh my goodness, this is not good. Whereas if you're told, uh, I, you have idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis, it's three syllables versus 12 syllables. Exactly. So it's a big difference.
0: So, so understanding that palliative care, uh, especially as you are explaining it, would be a vital part of the patient's understanding and and well-being management of the disease. Tell me how the. Tell me a little more about support, which you developed, which is trademarked, um, and and how that is integrated into the care system, and how you see it being integrated at
1: MUSC eventually. Okay, thank you. So based upon my clinical experience, I realized that these patients and their caregivers had a lot of need for education and being prepared for the disease course. And palliative care is, um, it's an extra layer of support. That is the best way to describe it. When any patient is diagnosed with a serious illness. So, and beca- it became, can begin at the time of diagnosis alongside curative treatment hospice or end-of-life care is when the patient is thought to have less than six months to live and so if you think of this disease course for this patient which we know is unpredictable but what we do know is as it progresses they'll have more symptoms palliative care is just critical because it can help patients with symptom management Um, There are medications, there are pharmacologic and non-pharmacologic therapies that can be provided along the disease course. While the patient is still, you know, perhaps participating in um, research studies being considered for a lung transplant, there are two medications that are now available for patients with pulmonary fibrosis called antifibrotics. Um, And they're thought to delay the disease. They don't stop the disease Um, but palliative care can be provided and we endorse that it should be provided alongside the um, you know that just the treatment course for the patient so a program of support this came to me just based upon as I said my clinical experience in working with these patients and I worked at the University of Pennsylvania for 10 years with patients with general and advanced lung disease in an outpatient setting and then I worked at the University of Pittsburgh in the Simmons Center for 20, 20 years. And so as a pulmonary clinical nurse specialist, I saw firsthand what these patients, in, in you know, they endured. And I did a, a, my dissertation study was a disease management program where I actually uh, did a six-week course to teach patients and their caregivers about everything that I thought that they should know about their disease, mm-hmm. uh, from what the definition is to what are, you know, what's available to help you, and um, what ended up happening is at the end of the course, I did a course evaluation, and there was unanimous um, agreement from the patients and their caregivers that they wrote, and they said, everyone who gets this diagnosis should have to take this course. Mm-hmm. So I was still in the midst of my, um, you know, my PhD, and So I ended up, my mentoring team said, there's something in that data that you have to unveil. So I did home visits across Western Pennsylvania with the patients who participated in the intervention arm. I interviewed patients and caregivers separately. And there were four important takeaways. The first was that caregiver stress decreased significantly. And what the caregivers relayed was they now knew what to expect and how to be prepared. Patients and caregivers said that well, what they learned was that, you know, when they go home from the doctor's office, they often are socially isolated. They didn't know other people who had this disease. So what this group provided was a network for them, a little cohort of people who had similar. And they said it helped to give them perspective of geez, like I'm not so bad, or, oh, wow, did you see that other person? But that group connected. Um, it, it was really very uh, intriguing to see how they connected, and they were just so hungry for information. <laughs> but then lastly, the most important thing was they addressed that, I know this might not help me, but it's really important for me to, to participate in this research that I can help people moving forward. So I had that in the back of my mind, and I continued to see these patients and would go with the doctors um, in the ICU. And I remember that there was often a lot of confusion on the caregiver's part when the patient was at end of life about, I didn't realize they were going to die. And so I created this uh, intervention called a program of support. It's a book, and it's gone through many iterations. And so I started just, I thought support came to me and and the, the acronym, you know, as you described earlier, symptom management, understanding your disease, pulmonary rehab, palliative care, oxygen research, transplant, all important things that a patient and their caregiver should know about. So I wrote the first draft and then I took it to clinic and showed it to our our nurses in the clinic. And I said, okay, what am I missing? What do we need to include in here? And they're like, we love it. Can we just use it? <laughs> <laughs> I love that. You know, we're not there yet. So then I showed it to different physicians, including at the time, the medical director of the Pulmonary Fibrosis Foundation. He was very uh, helpful to me to uh, describe the uh, variable disease course. And one of the things that he said is, You know, sometimes patients go on the Internet and they see this, oh, my goodness, 3.8 years. I only have this much time left. And he said the best way to describe it is the average male is 5'7". Think of how many males that you know are 5'7". That's kind of like similar to your disease course. It, it, It could be different for everyone. So the important thing is to take really good care of yourself to achieve the best quality of life. So then we tested it in two patients, and they liked it. And then I got funding from the National Institute of Nursing Research to do a randomized control trial. And uh, we did that in 76 patients with IPF and their caregivers. And this was just finished last year and just published uh, in May of this year in the Annals of American Thoracic Society.
0: Congratulations. That's incredible.
1: Thank you. And and what it, it showed again caregivers had significant improvement in knowledge uh, preparedness and confidence in caring for their loved one patients had an improvement in knowledge and an improvement in advanced care planning our only issue was that because um, patients come a distance often for their visit and it's a long day we had aligned the um, research study at with their clinical visit And we were able to recruit 56% into the study, but 24% said, I would really like to stay and participate, but I'm too fatigued. It's just been too long a day, and maybe I'll do this next time. And so we have um, submitted a grant to look to see, can we adapt this to telehealth delivery of this intervention in the patient's home at where they are? And so that's the next step.
0: Well, and it's interesting because my presumption would be that um, although COVID is not um, IPF, um, it is certainly a lung disease with with a range of symptoms and outcomes. And I can imagine because it's also, at least for us, a new disease that the need for the support program would be just as, Uh, Necessary for the COVID-19 and of course people using telehealth quite a bit so I can't imagine that this won't be a successful venture to be able to do uh, this via telehealth for not just for the uh, IPF, but also uh, for COVID, and then I noted noted that you're also looking at other diseases such as dementia. So I, I mean, it seems like it's it's the outline, the infrastructure for multitude of opportunities for for patients and caregivers.
1: One of the things that COVID has done is it has catapulted the palliative care program here at MUSC into the forefront. They have been exceedingly busy, and um, you know, you, anyone just has to like watch the news or, you know, read um, to see that um, some of the disease course that patients with COVID experience, you know, dying alone in a hospital without a family member allowing to be in. And palliative care was there. They were the people that were holding these people's hands. They were, you know, having the conversations with, you know, uh, a tablet with their family member to say goodbye. Um, Covid just really accentuated the the importance and the value of palliative care, and it, one interesting note um, that when just brought to mind when you said that, there are some patients who uh, got Covid um, and they ended up with pulmonary fibrosis, oh. which is just you know that's another. That's I can imagine. Yes. And so uh, what we did with this book is it's several iterations in and one one thing that I wanted to uh, make sure to say is, in addition to all those other uh, stakeholders who had a part in developing the book. We also had a curriculum expert at the University of Pittsburgh, when at the very end, when we thought it was ready to go, she read it and she went through it with a red pen and she made it even better. And so last summer, um, one of my career development goals uh, as part of my grant was to advance this to other advanced lung disease. So we now have a version for advanced COPD. Mm -hmm. And as you mentioned, I am now working with Dr. Kelachai and Dr. Diana Lane, who received grant funding to adapt it to dementia.
0: So, uh, Dr. Lindell, it is interesting to me that a PhD in nursing was the medical professional who came up with the support program,
1: not a physician. Thoughts on that? Thank you. Um, so, as a um, as I mentioned, I was a, I am a pulmonary clinical nurse specialist, and by nature of um, my role, I spent a lot of time with patients and back in the day when i was a critical care nurse we knew that nurses spend the most time at the bedside and uh physicians have multiple patients and you know uh come and go and but the key and and that actually continues continued in my career and when i worked in an outpatient Uh, the nurses spend uh, so much time on the phone uh talking with the patients and Nurses in the United States, according to the Gallup poll, and I want to say it's like 19 years in a row, are the most trusted health profession. Mm-hmm. They are. Okay. And we, I like to say, I speak people, I speak their language. You know, you have a range of patients that come from all walks of life, and that is one of the, um, things that were taught in uh school is that you know you judge no one and you take care of everyone right so to me it was i was an extension of as a voice to see what they needed and i knew that in order for me to be able to do that research to help these patients i had to get a phd to be a pi on a study and so my my How I got there was because of my clinical background, but I was very passionate. and I am still very passionate that we take the best care of patients to reduce suffering. And that's a big component of palliative care. And today there, it's actually just so reassuring to see there's a much bigger focus on interprofessional and team science. And so I look at it as we all work together. And since I've come here, I'm working with Dr. Tim Whelan in mm-hmm. um, the advanced lung disease program and um, the other pulmon- pulmonologist. And I, just, I think that it's so important that we only get further ahead when we work together.
0: And on top of that, just to remind our audience, um, as I do every podcast, the beauty of it is you are working in an academic health center where those natural um, affinities with uh, uh, your colleagues in other disciplines, um, you know, just comes to the fore and offers you the kind of resources you need to be able to do exactly what you're suggesting you wanna do is take care of that patient. And, and I'm very proud that MUSC is also, um, as one of its stated mission goals is to be very patient centered. And I would imagine the support program, uh, again, would be a, a good guidepost for um, both health professionals, students, um, and uh, and faculty uh, to be able to to meet that, that goal. What have been the major milestone benefits of the support program and how do you see it being utilized in healthcare going forward?
1: We can now say it's an evidence-based intervention. Uh, we know that it improves um, knowledge for caregivers and uh, patients, and that it also helps the caregiver feel more comfortable in their role um, another area of research that i'm looking at is the impact of um, disease on the caregivers especially with these serious illnesses mm. and what we find is i'll give the example in pulmonary fibrosis median age for a patient with pulmonary fibrosis is 65 and most often um, their spouse is a similar age and so what we find happens is that this the spouse may or may not but more frequently has their own uh, morbidities to deal with comorbidities and so in addition to taking care of themselves they now have to take care of this patient who has um, pulmonary fibrosis and as the disease advances the patient's functional status. Their, their ability to do things really decreases, but then they also go on increasing doses of supplemental oxygen. So the caregiver, um, we've done focus groups with um, patients, caregivers, and caregivers of patients who died of pulmonary fibrosis and what the caregivers, um, the, the, just the impact of caring for their loved one. I have this story. Um, there was a woman in her early 60s. She was the breadwinner for the family. Her husband had pulmonary fibrosis, and he coughed so much. He coughed at night, and she reported that when she went to work, she'd be sleepy, and her co-workers would ask her, like, what's going on? Are you okay? And she said, oh my goodness, I am so tired. She said, he coughs all night, but I don't want to hurt his feelings and leave the bedroom," she said. So I stay there, and then I don't get a full night's sleep. But yet I have to—I come to work and I'm sleepy, but I have to maintain the, our job because maintaining our job maintains the insurance. Right. So that's just one story of the impact on on caregivers. There's, I mean, there's so much, so many unmet needs for caregivers that we're uh, really like looking at now to see what can we do to um, help our caregivers of our patients with this disease. Absolutely. And again, I think COVID has brought
0: that to the fore of all the people that had to take care of um, you know, their loved ones um, in isolation yes. um, until very recently. And then again, we were looking at strains that might uh, one, once more make it very important for us to have telehealth and And again, I think the support program would be vital to uh, assisting with that. Um, Can you tell me um, some of the lessons you've learned from being a part of patient's lives and and their families' lives at such an intense and
1: delicate phase of life? So I feel very passionate that this is a calling and that this is a gift for me to be able to do this work. And, um, you know, um, what these patients have taught me is, uh, maybe something that might, I might consider, um, I, I actually look at things differently now. I, I think, is it really that important? Does Mm. whatever really matter as much? And to kind, to, to really enjoy and focus on the important things. And so in that nature, what's important to one person is not, you know, may differ from somebody else, but it really, it, it, you do have to live life. And um, you know, I, these patients, it, it's so interesting is that I used to always describe them as, you know, they knew something was getting worse. They just attribute it to aging. So they think that, you know, one day I'm okay. And then the next day they get this terrible diagnosis and it just really puts life, in perspective Mm -hmm. so it's it's really important like do good things for others take good care of yourself do what you you know wisely do what you want to do
0: right it it, words to live by absolutely I just want to say it's been a pleasure speaking with you today and learning about this incredible support program you've developed and is available hopefully very soon for um, all of us to utilize It's, again, another example of the great uh, research and clinical care that distinguishes MUSC from other health centers. And um, you, in particular, as a human being who saw a need, had the compassion, had the wisdom and the diligence to move forward to, to develop something of this nature for your patients, caregivers, and health professionals, I applaud you and congratulate you and thank you for making a difference in the lives of those we serve. Dr. Lindell, thank you so very much for being a part of Science Never Sleeps. Thank you. Enjoyed it. And to our listeners, many thanks again for your interest and support, as we all work to change what's possible through research at MUSC.